Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's, it's good to see you. Those of you that are our Dream City regulars, those of you that are joining us for the first time, my name is Pastor John. Me and my wife Angel have the honor of serving here as lead pastors. Those of you joining us online, thank you for being with us. And those that are our family and now living in other locations, it's good to see you guys with us as well this morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Andre, for that tip. We've been, we've been reading through the Bible chronologically on this Bible reading plan, if, if you're new to Dream City. And so January 1st, we started this year-long Bible reading plan, and, and we're we are now into the, the major prophets. We've read through Isaiah. We're uh, reading and finishing Jeremiah this week. Ezekiel will start this week. And, and it's, it, it's at the point in our reading plan, <clears throat> excuse me, where it would be very easy to, to, one, feel like I've already read this before because it seems like the same thing happened 10 chapters ago. It seems like I've read this, this, this word from God and this this. Um, this warning to his people before because it was the same thing that he said two chapters ago. And it's like, why do I have to continue to read this? And it, if we're not careful, uh, if we're not vigilant, if we're not determined to, to hide his word in our heart, it would be very easy for us to kind of check out until October, until Jesus comes around. Uh, so we, we said, let's put out tips every week. And Pastor Angel gave us a few tips last week. She didn't want to just give one, so she gave three tips last week. And this week, Pastor Andre gave us a tip to, to as, our, as we're reading, either, either find an application Bible, a study Bible, Bible, a commentary, something that allows you to read the text, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But then also, what, Holy Spirit, what have you revealed to other people? Because there are people who are, are more knowledgeable than, than I am when it comes to God's Word. So what revelation have you given them, and how does that add to the revelation that you've given me? It gives us a deeper understanding, and culturally it's important, because there are things in God's Word that that spoken to an agricultural and a, and, a, and a shepherding society, we don't understand. Like it, leaving the 99 sheep to go chase after the one doesn't really mean anything to me because I don't have any sheep at home. But when you understand it in cultural context, then it begins to have a different meaning. And, and, and along those lines, I just want to, to say, like, this isn't just for you, but this is myself as well. Because there are things that I have said from, from this platform and from this pulpit and, and things from God's word, and I've used verses and scriptures, not that are contrary to the heart of his word, but that are contrary to the context of that particular scripture. And it got really quiet, and you guys are like. And so here's, here's the thing. As I, was, as I was studying, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 7 that I have used, and it's been used, and I've heard it used, and I'm not the only one that's used it in this way. But there's a verse in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the, on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, excuse me. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is teaching, and at the end of chapter 5, he says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And we have used that verse, and I have used that verse to communicate it in a way that there are bad things that will happen to good people and not so good people. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Because when we today think of rain, I don't want it to rain. When I think of rain, I think of rain when I have a tea time in 30 minutes and now I'm not going to be able to golf because it's raining. I think of rain in baseball games that are canceled because of rain. I don't want it to rain on me, right? We, 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 we can read it in that way. But when you get the context of what Jesus is teaching and what he's talking about, see, he's not talking about bad things happening. He's talking about loving your enemies, because two verses before that, he said, you've heard it said to, to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies, pray for them. And then he says, God will send his son on, on the righteous and the evil, and he will cause his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. And to people who needed the sun and people who needed the rain in order for their crops to grow, for them to make a living, this was not God saying that there's going to be bad things happening to good people and bad people, although the, the scripture does say that. So in the, the heart of the, the word, it's not wrong, 
But in the context of that scripture, this is not about bad things happening. This is about the, the, the lavish grace of God being given abundantly, indiscriminately on good and not so good people. That God's grace abounds to everybody. And so, so the, the point of an application Bible, a study Bible, a commentary is so that as you read, you're able to digest, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me directly through your word? And then what revelation have you given other people and how can that maybe clear up some things for me? Does that make sense? So just wanted to like, I don't know if it's an apology. Like, I don't feel like I have to apologize for, for teaching that or saying that. But like, I want to let you know that it's not just, it's not just you, it's all of us. There is constantly revelation being given from the, the Holy Spirit, and, and hopefully he does that today through our text as well. We're going to continue our Bible reading plan and our, our study of the scriptures. We're in Jeremiah, like I said last week. In Jeremiah, uh, God comes through the prophet Jeremiah giving warnings to the southern kingdom of Judah and letting them know, listen, the, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been conquered by the Assyrians, and if you don't change your ways now... Babylon is going to come. They didn't believe it. They hardened their hearts. And, and now in our scriptures, we've seen that Nebuchadnezzar has come. He's taken from Judah, from Jerusalem, uh, people to, to live in exile in Babylon. And it's not just a one-time thing, but, but there are, are three invasions from Babylon. The first results in some people in, in, in the treasuries from the temple being taken back to Babylon. And it culminates with the, the temple being destroyed, the city walls being destroyed, and literally the city of Jerusalem lies in a heap of rubble. And, and God's people, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, now living in exile in Babylon. And Jeremiah comes in, and he's writing letters to them. He's, he's encouraging them. He's letting them know what's, what's going on. And, and today, I want us to, to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, which was in our reading for this week. And, and I want us to, to take a look and, and, again, not take one scripture pull it out of context, but instead look at the entirety of Scripture and allow Scripture to interpret itself. So Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. God comes to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah writes a letter to those that are living in exile, and here's the letter that he writes. This is what the Lord of heaven the armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Verse 5. Build homes and plan to stay. Now imagine, and it's hard for us because we don't, we, we don't fully grasp the situation that they find themselves in. You know, we hear about wars around the world and we, we hear about Russia invading Ukraine and we hear about, you know, all of these, these other things. But, but for us living in the United States in 2022, like we can't comprehend a nation invading and taking us to live in their land. It would be like the Canadians, and I know that this is ridiculous because it's Canada, but it would be like the Canadians invading from the northern border, conquering the United States, and then taking a portion of our population back to live in Canada. That's the position that they find themselves in. And as we're in Canada, there are people and prophets and pastors and teachers who come up and they say, listen, we're not going to be here for a very long time. It's only going to be a couple of years. God will, will soon, he'll, he's going to bring us back shortly. And then you get a letter from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, listen, this is what God says to those of you living in Canada. This is what God says, build homes and plan to stay. And at the introduction of that letter, you would say, but I don't want to stay. But these other people are telling me that I don't have to stay here very long. Why, why should I build a home? I don't, I don't want to go through that. He says, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them. So you don't just want me to to build a house, you want me to prepare generationally to be in exile. Three generations. I want you to have children and marry your children off. And I want you to have grandchildren in Canada. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. It says, multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. I think that would be a word from the Lord for us today as well. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Hold on. What? We're going to be here for how long? Homie down the street told me I was going to be here for two years. The pastor on TV told me it was only going to be six months. What do you mean, Jeremiah, I'm going to be here for 70 years? But God says, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised and I will bring you home again. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring fresh revelation, uh, fresh insight. God, that it would produce transformation in our lives. We look to your word today not to be informational, but to be transformational, but that can only happen as we take your word and put it into practice in each and every one of our hearts and in our lives. And so we pray that you would empower us, give us the boldness, the determination, and the dedication to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word as well. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. amen. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of those verses that if you, you took a camera crew and, and you went around, the, you went down the street and you asked people, you know, do you read the Bible? Yes, I read the Bible. Do you go to church? I used to go to church. Okay, what is your favorite Bible verse? Jeremiah chapter 29 and 11 is probably, would probably one of the, be one of the top five life verses that people hold on to. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be. It's an incredible verse. It's a great verse, but, but I think we have a misunderstanding of really what the verse is, is saying. We pull the, the one verse out of the context of the exile, out of the context of the 70 years, out of the context of the rebellion, out of the context of the history of the nation and everything that they've been through and everything that they've done and the hardness of their hearts. We pull that one verse out of the context and just, just transpose it onto our lives and say, God knows the plans that he has for me and God does have plans for you. God wants to prosper me and God does want to prosper you. God wants to, to give me hope and a future and an expected end and God wants to do those things. But, but if you just take that verse out of context and transpose it onto your life, you miss the meaning behind the text. You miss so much and you leave so much on the table and it's not to negate what verse 11 says because the rest of the story doesn't take away from that, it only adds to it. And so today I want us to look at, at verse 11, but, but I want us to look more at the entirety of the context of the scripture. And there's several lessons that I want to pull from the text that, that I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today for your benefit, for my benefit individually, for our collective benefit as the body of Christ, for, for our benefit moving forward in the times that we find ourselves in. God, what are you wanting to say to us? Now understand that these prophecies to, to the nation of Israel are specific prophecies to a specific people at a specific point in time. And so the prophecies given to Israel in the Old Testament, the United States is not the new Israel. So we can't take those prophecies and say, well, they apply to us. No, but the God and the heart behind it is the same and is unchanged. So we can take the heart of God and the character of God and what we find in the New Testament, marry the two together and say, God, who are you and what are you saying about me? Right. So this morning, there's three things that I think would benefit us to, to walk away knowing and understanding. And the first one is this, super happy, super joyful. There will be times and seasons of suffering. <laughs> Pastor, your job is to encourage me. No, my job is to equip you. Sometimes that happens through encouragement. And sometimes that happens just by, by giving you the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is that there will be 
times, there will be seasons in this life that you just go through stuff. We have to understand, first of all, the source of suffering. Because not all suffering is caused by the devil. We can read the book of Job and think that we're Job. The devil just did this to me. The devil made my tire go flat. The de devil caused... Sometimes, yes. But I think the, the credit that the devil gets, he doesn't deserve a lot of the times. Because he's not the only source. Sometimes we are our own source of suffering. Sometimes it's simply a result of the decisions that we make, of the lifestyle that we choose, of the places that we go, the people that we hang out with, the things that we say, the things we watch, the things we listen to, what we choose to give our attention and our energy to, those things that we worship in place of God in our lives. Sometimes the sufferings that we go through are a result of our actions. Sometimes it's not us, but it's the people close to us. I didn't do anything, I understand that, but the fact that you are a fallen human being living next to other fallen human beings living in a fallen world that has not been fully sanctified, but we have the hope that one day we will be and it will be, but we are not there yet. We have to understand that there is sin present and with sin comes death and consequence. And so there are consequences not only for our actions, but for the actions of people around us. Sometimes it's the enemy, yes. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's just a result of going through life and being a human. Like sometimes you just can't get away from it, but the, the fact is there will be times, there will be seasons of suffering. And, and, and Judah is in Babylon and they're suffering and they're, they're living under oppression of King Nebuchadnezzar who was not like the nicest king. He wasn't. At the end of Jeremiah, you will, you, will, you will read and you will see that Nebuchadnezzar comes, takes the king of Judah, chases him out of the city, takes his two sons, kills his two sons in front of him, makes him watch, and then plucks out the king's eyes because he wants the last image that he ever saw to be the death of his two boys. Like this is the king that they are living under in Babylon. And they're, they're crying out to God and saying, God, when is it going to end? God, when will you bring us back? God, when are you going to return us to our homeland? God, when will you make it better? Have you ever asked God that question in your life? God, when are you going to make it better? God, I, I need a financial provision. God, my finances. God, when will you make it better? God, I have this thing in my physical body that I'm struggling with and I'm dealing with. God, when, when will you make it better? God, I've been struggling with depression and anxiety. God, when will you make it better? God, all of these things are going on around me. God, when will you make it better? And they're asking God, God, when is it gonna happen? And here's God's response to them. Seventy years. Now, when are you going to bring us back? <laughs> In about seven decades. See, when we pray and we ask God for things, and we pray and we ask these questions of God, we want an answer by the end of the day, not the end of our lives. We want God to, to work immediately, but sometimes the answer comes in five days. Sometimes the answer comes in five weeks. Sometimes it's five years. Sometimes it's five decades. I, I, don't, I don't know when, but I do know that there are times and that there are seasons of suffering, and there's this dangerous, reckless teaching that is pervasive in the church today in our nation, which is the most ridiculously blessed nation, prosperous nation, not just on earth today, but in the history. And there's this teaching that, that God's will for you and God's plan for you is that you will be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And I wish that was the case. The problem is I can't find any scriptural reference for that. 
Well, Pastor John, what about, you know, at Dream City? We say that, that you know, God wants us to live abundantly. He came that we would have an abundant life. That's, that's what we say. That's who we are. That's what we want to do. Yes, absolutely. But understand, and that's why we're very clear when we say that, that abundance does not mean stuff. Abundance does not mean that you'll never go through hard times. But it means that regardless of where you find yourself and regardless of the circumstances and the situations around you, you can walk in an abundance of love and an abundance of joy and an abundance of peace and an abundance of purpose in him, an abundance of of the things that we find in scripture that regardless of what's going on around us, God, you're working inside of us. And so that's the abundance. But the problem is when we, when we tell people that God wants you to be healthy, all you have to do is believe. Now, yes, God does heal. But God does not heal according to our desire or our timetable. I remember when my grandma was battling with cancer and it was getting down to the end and we got a phone call from my mom like, hey, you guys need to book a ticket and you need to get down here. I remember being in that room and praying for her and there's pastors and there's preachers and there's elders and there's like people, men and women of faith who have walked with God for years and we're standing around this hospital bed as this woman is fighting for her life, just praying and believing God. God, you're gonna raise her up. God, you can do it. God, you're capable, you're able. Would you just? Remember we went to get some we went to get some lunch one day and got a phone call that that was it. She was gone. And for weeks, I was so mad at God. And God, how could you? God, what are you thinking? God, why didn't you? God, we prayed. God, we believed. God, we had faith. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. What, what did, is your word not true? He said, you didn't heal her, God. Why didn't you heal my grandma? And I've shared this story before, but I was in here in prayer one morning and I was over on this side and I was walking and I was, I was praying and I was arguing with God. I said, God, you, why didn't you heal her? And he says, who said I didn't heal her? And I said, well, she's not here. Hello, McFly. Like, <laughs> clearly you didn't heal her. And he says, I gave her the best healing she could ever experience. Because now she's in a place where there is no more cancer. There's no more pain and there's no more tears and there's no more heartache and there's, there's none of that. There's no, there's no ventilators in heaven. There's no breathing tubes in heaven. You're sitting there complaining that I didn't heal her. Could I have healed her temporarily and touched her physical body? Yes, but I chose to heal her eternally. When God said, said that, I was like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> okay. God wants you to be wealthy. God will bless you, yes. God's supernatural favor will be upon you, yes. But the favor of one is not the favor of another. To one, he gave five talents. To one, he gave one talent. We are not to judge what God has blessed us with or given us in comparison to one another. We are to look to God as the giver of all things and say, God, thank you. I am grateful. I'm, gr- I'm full of gratitude for what you've entrusted to me. I look at the, the apostle Paul and he says, I can do all things through Christ. What's he talking about? Being content, whether I have a belly full of food or I haven't eaten in weeks. He said, I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned and left for dead. The the townspeople thought I was dead. They had stoned me until I was under this pile of rubble and they thought that they had finished the job and yet I got up and I walked away. And in those situations, I can be content because God is all I need. I don't see health, wealth, and happiness. I don't see God mentioning your happiness. I see him mentioning joy. Joy everlasting, fullness of joy. But there's this teaching that if you just believe it enough and you have enough faith, then you'll be healed and you'll get the promotion and you'll get the raise and you'll have the house and the cars and all of the toys and everybody will look to you as some example of, of, wow, look at God's righteousness because of how much stuff this person has. (laughs) And it's a dangerous teaching because if we lead people to believe that, when they go through these times of hardship and trial and suffering, which we all will, and we pray and we say, God, when are you going to make it better? And God's response is 70 years. 
in the time we pr- between the time we pray and God has answered the prayer, we're left wondering, did I not have enough faith? Am I a bad Christian? Is, the, is it something wrong with me why God isn't answering? Is it my fault? And then, and then after we've exhausted those questions, we, we turn our attention to God and say, is God even there? And if God is there, does God even care? And it's a dangerous teaching because it leads so many people down this path to where when they go through stuff and their problems aren't answered by the end of the week and they don't see an end in sight, they leave the church and they leave the faith because they believe God doesn't care about me or he's not real or there's something defective with me because God didn't answer me by Friday. Yet when we look at the, when we look at the scripture, we see you guys say, build houses, plant gardens, have grandkids, enjoy that time, pray for the city that you're in, work for its prosperity because you're going to be there for a while. And are we, are we in a position in our lives that we would be content if God said it's going to be a while? Is he enough for you? Is he your daily portion, there will be hard times. And this isn't just an Old Testament. Well, they were rebellious, so they're in exile, but I'm under a new covenant. I'm under a covenant of grace. Ask the first church what that covenant of grace looked like. Persecution. Ask those who gave their lives for Christ. Ask those throughout history who have had to make the decision between your life or Jesus, and they've chosen Jesus. Is it a covenant of grace? Yes, absolutely. But does that mean that hard times won't come? No, absolutely not. James chapter one says, when you go through trials of many kinds, consider it an opportunity for what? Not happiness, joy. Consider it an opportunity for joy. Romans chapter five, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. He continues, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We can rejoice when we go through these things. It doesn't have to be a pity party for 70 years, but get to work, have a family, plant a garden, pray for the city, rejoice in this time because it's, it's working endurance in you. What is endurance? It's a, a patient resilience. And that resilience will develop character. And and when you have the the, the strength of character, it leads you to a place of hope. Not hope that your problems are going to end, but hope in no matter what happens, I am enough. That's the hope that we have. The hope that I was able to find in here one morning, the hope that says, even if he doesn't answer me in this lifetime, which is just the blink of an eye when you think about eternity, There is hope of salvation and hope of eternal life with him. And so that is the hope that we can hold on to. We rejoice in these times. This isn't a popular teaching in the church today. If I wanted to build a big church, I would not be preaching this message. I would be preaching just verse 11 and talking about how that God's plan is to prosper you. But I've not been called in my, my, my responsibility and my job. And what I will answer for is not the number of people who were in my church when Jesus comes back. I want to, I want to help you develop roots so that when the winds blow, your tree is not going to be blown over. And so there, the, the hard times will come. We, we have to understand that following Jesus in hard times requires patient trust requires us to trust in him. We can't trust him if we don't know him. That's why getting into his word every day is so important. Get to know the heart of God. Get to know the character of God. So when you go through these seasons, you can hold on to that knowing that his promises are true. We don't trust. We want it right away. Here's the other thing that you need to understand when you go through hard times. Tell me if this sounds familiar because this is the story of my life. You make one bad decision which then leads to a series of bad decisions, which then leads to a whole pile of of consequences as a result of your decisions, leads you to a place of repentance and God reveals this to you. So you repent and you turn from that and you turn towards God and you say, God, 
I recognize the, the sin. I recognize the error of my ways. I see a trail of destruction everywhere that I've gone. I want to I I surrender my life to you. God, take it all. God does, and he forgives, and he washes, and he cleanses, and he renews. But then I look behind me, and it's like, okay, God, all of these consequences, you need to take that too. <laughs> God, all this mess that I've left behind me, I need you to do something with that. And he says, okay, but let's just start with today. And then tomorrow you wake up and you look behind you and there's still some consequences and God's like, okay, now let's do today. And it's like, okay, God, how long is this going to take? And he's like, maybe 70 years. I don't know. (laughs) But are you willing to do what is necessary to continue moving forward? And we have this, this, this thought that because God is almighty and because God is all-powerful, that the moment we turn from our sin and our consequences and the mess that we've made and we come back to God, that he should snap his fingers and just make all of it go away. And what we need to understand is that we didn't get to that place overnight and we will not get out of that place overnight either. Listen, in your marriage, it's taken you decades to get to the place that you are. Feeling like we're roommates, there's no intimacy, there's no communication, there's no trust, there's no love, there's no security. I don't even know what we're doing. You didn't get there overnight. And so when you have this realization and you turn yourselves over to God and you focus this way so that you can focus this way, it's like, okay, well, it's been a week and we've been praying together, but we're not where we want to be. I understand that, but you're also not where you were. So today, do what you know you need to do today. And then tomorrow, do what you know you need to do tomorrow. And if you would keep your focus on him and focus on moving forward, one day you'll turn around and all of that stuff will be gone. And it's like, how did our relationship go from what it was to what it is today? By focusing and following God. Didn't happen overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. So stop fooling yourself in in giving these these unrealistic expectations so that when God doesn't meet your unrealistic expectations, it's like, really, God? I guess you don't care. Really, really, God? I repented. Really, God? You were supposed to make it all better. God says, 70 years. So how do we do that? How do we develop this, this endurance? How do we develop this character? How do we, how do we make sure that we, we get from where we are to where we want to be? The second thing that I want you to understand is that no matter what season you're in, there is always work to be done. No matter what season you're in, there, there's all, it could be the worst season of your life, there's work to be done. It could be the best season of your life, there's work to be done. God could be blessing you on all sides, there's work to be done. In every season, what does he say? He says, build homes. He says, plant gardens. He says, marry off your kids. He says, have grandkids. He says, pray for the prosperity. Work for the prosperity. Do everything that that you can in the season that you find yourself in. Don't just sit there, which is what we like to do because we're Americans. Don't just sit there. We, we, We we find ourselves going through these struggles and these trials and these sufferings and these hard times, whether it's a a report from a doctor and a diagnosis that we get or, or relational strain or we've been praying, we've been asking God for something and we don't, we don't see the answer, our, our finances or whatever, whatever situation you find yourself in or have found yourself in. We can find ourselves in these seasons and periods of suffering and all we want to do is just sit down. If we were in the Bible days, we would put on burlap and throw dirt on our heads. You know what the modern day equivalent of the burlap and the dirt is? A blanket and Netflix. <laughs> like that's where we find ourselves. If, if, if God were to write his word to the church today, he would say, when you go through these times, don't just throw a blanket on and binge watch Netflix. But that's what we like to do. There's work that needs to be done. There are things that you need to do. Well, God, I need this work in my physical body, okay? 
what, are, what does your exercise routine look like? Well, God, I'm into fitness. You're into fitness? I'm into fitness, a whole pizza in my mouth. I, that's my exercise routine. I'm curling the remote, God. He's like, no. God, my, my mental health. Been, I've been dealing with this, and I, I can't seem to get over this hurt. Okay, what are, you, what are you meditating on? What are you focusing your thoughts on? What are you giving your time and your attention to? God, in my marriage, in my relationships, okay, where, where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your energy and your attention? What are you giving the best parts of yourself to? God, I find myself in this season, in this time of, of suffering in whatever area it might be, and God's response is, okay, what do you need to do? Yeah. Well, God, that's why I'm coming to you so that you can do something. God says, I, I'll do what I do when you do what you do. And I've, I've said this before. I was listening to, to Bishop T.D. Jakes, and, and he had said something. He said, you know, so many times as Christians, we pray and we say, God, give me a table, give me a table. And God says, I don't make tables, I made trees. God, do it for me. He says, no, I've given you the resources and the abilities. And it's your job to take the resources I've given you and the abilities that I've given you and put them to work to produce what I can produce through you but we don't want that. Maybe we come out of a season of suffering and it's like, oh, thank God. Thank God that's over. Thank God I don't have to deal with that anymore. As we continue our reading plan, there, when the 70 years is up and the first group of exiles returned to Jerusalem, you know what the first thing that they did was? Got to work building the temple. And then years later, when Nehemiah leads another group back, you know what they did? Got to work building the walls. Because whether you're in exile or you're coming out of exile, whether it's a hard season or a good season, there is always work to be done. And here's what's interesting. God writes to them in exile and says, you need to get to work. And my question is, had they been willing to do the work in Judah, would they have ever found themselves in exile? Had they been willing to seek God and serve him and do the work in that day, would God have had to come to them and say, nope, we got to take a time out? The answer, I think, is no. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is are we willing to do the work? Are you willing to put in what it takes? See, God doesn't, God doesn't work in montages. Like, what does that even mean? Rocky IV. Anybody like Rocky IV? Remember Rocky IV? It's the Russian Drago. Drago kills Apollo, and Rocky's like, you killed my best friend. And he agrees to fight Drago. So what does he do? He says, we're going to fight. Well, where are we going to fight? We're going to fight in Russia. And everybody's like, Rocky, why are you going to fight him in Russia? And in the movie, he flies to Russia. He goes to this mountain cabin and there's like seven feet of snow and piles of wood. And for the next three minutes of the movie, you see Rocky like hauling these logs around and running up these mountains and chopping this wood. And he like, by the end of this three minutes, he's put on 20 pounds of weight of muscle. He's got this big old mountain man, Grizzly Adams beard, and he's ready for this fight with Drago. Now in the movie, it took three and a half minutes. We don't see the six months that he was there training because we've taken that six months and we've created this montage and these cute little moments and these cute little clips and it's three minutes long and we expect God to do it the same way in our lives. God, just make a montage of my life. God, don't make me have to, just, just give me the beard like Rocky. I don't even care about the muscles. I just want a beard, God. As <laughs> a Native American, I just can't like... Another conversation for another day. <laughs> but he doesn't work that way, and there's work to be done, and it's hard work, and it's laborious work, and it's work day after day after day. And just when you thought you got done with the work, guess what? There's more work to do. I remember when we first got married, I was, I was a liar. And I don't just mean like, uh, occasional white light. No, I mean like 
when I was confronted, my tendency and my natural default was to lie. John, did you? Nope. Nope. I don't know how that happened. I don't know where that money went. I don't know what that is on the computer. I didn't do that. Well, John, it's just you and me. <laughs> Somebody must have broke in and did some stuff because I sure didn't do that. And when I was, when I was confronted with something that I had done, my, my go-to response, like I didn't even think about it. My go-to was lie. And for years, it created so much tension such a breakdown in communication, such a lack of security for my wife, just ripped intimacy out of our marriage because I would, I would lie. And it wasn't until I started to do the work and ask the questions, okay, why, why do I lie? Why, when I'm placed in this situation, is my, is my tendency to lie. And it was this process of going through it, and it's like, well, it's because, it's because I, I, I don't want to let people down. And because I've messed up, and if I confess it, then I feel like I've let people down. And I can't let people down because as a kid, I remember, like, Dad was only home one week out of the month, and so when he was home, everything had to be perfect. You can't let Dad down. Like, we've, we, not that that was the expectation, but that as a young child, that was the perception. And so because I can't let him down, I can't let other people down, I can't let... And so I worked through all of that, and it's like, Dad, I, Father, Father, Heavenly Father, I have all these daddy issues. And I've got all of this stuff that, like, traces all the way back that has led me to this place where, like, that's my response. And so I, I worked through that, I confess that, I acknowledge that, I, I recognize that. But then I question again, what do I do? I lie. It's like, okay, well, why am I still lying if that was it? And he says, well, that wasn't the only reason. But you, you lie because you, you're afraid of vulnerability. Well, why am I afraid of vulnerability? Because you have this feeling like you can't trust people. Well, why do I feel like I can't trust people? Because growing up as a pastor's kid and the things that people said about you and the expectations that they put on you and the way that they would use you to get close to, and they didn't really care about you. They and so all of these different paths that had led me to this place of when confronted with just the smallest of things, my, my response was to lie, and I create this mess for myself. And it wasn't until I chose to, to be willing to do the work, to, to, to work through that stuff. And now coming out of it, guess what? There's still, not that the work is done, there's still work to be done. Because in order to maintain the freedom that I've found, I have to work to be vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> it kills me every day. And I have to work to be transparent and I have to work to bring things into the light rather than hide them in the dark. Why? Because I don't want to go back to what I went to, what I was in. But just because I'm not in exile anymore and I'm walking in freedom doesn't mean that I get to sit on the couch, turn on the TV, kick my feet up and say, all right, we arrived. No matter what season you find yourself in, there is always work to be done. So we, we have to understand that there are seasons of suffering. We have to understand regardless of where and when we find ourselves, there's work to be done. But the third thing we see in the scripture is there's always a hope to hold on to. And I want to finish with this because some of you are looking at me right now like, well, you've, you've perfectly ruined my life first. Thank you very much. I guess I have to go back to my Instagram profile and remove Jeremiah 29, 11 from off of it because I don't want that to be my life verse anymore. Now, listen, I want to end here because, because it doesn't just end with the 70 years. And it doesn't just end with, with endless amounts of work and nothing to show for it. But we also have to understand that there is a very real hope that we can hold on to. And that's when he gets to verse 10. He says, but then... You'll, you'll live in exile. You'll have to work in that season. You're going to have to go through some stuff. I recognize it's a hard time, but then. And some of you have been waiting for your but then. God, when, I, when, when can I get to but then? He says, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised. I will bring you home 
again, here's where we find your verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God says there's suffering and I recognize your suffering now. But I want you to understand that your suffering is not indefinite and your suffering is not forever. And this season, though it might be going on and it might be continuing, will not last for forever. I can't tell you when it's going to end. I don't, I don't know when your but then is coming. Maybe your but then is my grandma's but then. Maybe you've been dealing with something and, and your but then is that, that time he takes you to that place, that perfect place where there are no more tears and there is no more pain. Maybe your but then is in five months when you decide to do the work. Maybe your but then is right around the corner. Maybe you're just entering into it. I don't know when your but then is, but I know that God is a but then God. There's a hope that we can be sure of and there's a hope that we can hold on to. See, when you're going through seasons of suffering, you have to ask the question, am I holding on to despair or am I holding on to hope? Because you can only hold on to one of the two. You can choose to hold on to despair, focusing on the circumstances and focusing on the things going on around you. Or you can hold on to the character of God who says, but then. Who says, I know the plans that I have for you. And it might be dark now, but if you would just trust me, if you would just lean into me, if you would just, if you would just seek after me, then, then but then will come. And here's what he says. After your but then comes, go ahead, go to the next verse. He says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I love how God is always changing our perspectives. Right? Like we have, we have one idea. We, we think it should go this way. We expect something. And God's like, hold on, hold on. Let me, just, let me just adjust your focus really quick. He has a way of doing that. And here the people are crying out to him saying, God, when is this captivity going to end? God, when is exile? God, when are you going to make it better? And God says, I'll make it better in 70 years. But until then, I need to, to know that you're willing to do the work. Put in the effort, do the things that you need to do today. Tomorrow, do the things that you know you need to do tomorrow and, and focus on me, trust in me, develop endurance, develop patience, develop persistence, develop character. That leads you to a place of hope. And he says, listen, I'll bring you back. He says, I'll bring, I'll bring you back home and I'll give you what you're asking for. But, but here's where he changes their perspective. Because for God, it was never about a place. It was always about a people. He says, yes, you can, you can come back to your land. But even more than that, you can come back to me. They were asking, God, when can I come live in my home again? And God says, you can do that. But even better than that, you can come live in my presence again. God, when, when, can, I, when can I return says, you can return, but even more, you're going to return to me. You can come back, Louise. See, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 is, is an incredible verse. And if it is your life verse, I would encourage you to continue to, to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, but understand the context of it. And it's not just a verse that promises smooth sailing in your life. But it's a verse that promises that even when the waves are crashing over your boat, there is a greater hope that we can hold on to. It's not a verse that promises the absence of pain in our life, but it's a verse that promises that the pain isn't forever. There is one thing that I would want you to walk out with today. If, if you just remember one thing that I say, if you haven't taken a single note for the last 40 minutes and you want something to write down, here's what I would leave you with. God's will for you is not to keep you from suffering, but it's to bring you closer to him as he brings you through suffering. 
In 29 verse 11, without the context of the rest of the chapter is a verse that promises that there won't be suffering, but prosper, hope, future, expected end. But when we understand it in the context of what God is saying to his people and what God is, I believe, saying to us today, it's not a promise that you won't go through hard seasons. It's not a promise that you won't go through trials because we see that in the New Testament. James, Paul, they don't say if you face trials. They say when. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is It's a verse that promises us that even though there are times where we go through these hard seasons, if we would draw close to God, if we would keep our eyes focused on him, if we would commit to daily doing the work that we know we need to do in every area of our lives, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, if we would do those things, then the hope that we have is we can cling to him as he gets us through it. Sometimes it's a quick journey, sometimes it's a long journey, but we know that at the end of the journey is joy unspeakable and full of glory. We know that at the end of the journey, we will pray and he will listen. We will be in his presence. We will be the temple for the Holy Spirit. We we will walk in the fullness of the abundant life that he has come to pay for and to purchase for us. No matter what you're going through today, keep your eyes on him. Choose to hold on to hope rather than despair. Be willing to do the work and recognize that it's just a season. Stand with me this morning. I wanna pray for you as we're dismissed today. Lord, I thank you for your work. God, I thank you for the incredible encouragement that we find today in your word. And and God, in the context of your word, Lord, we recognize that in our lives, we've gone through things and we are going to continue to go through things as fallen people in a fallen world. But Lord, thank you that the hope that we have, that your plans for us are good plans. Your will for us is not that we would never go through something, but as we do, you would produce character. Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We encourage you to explore our past sermon series and classes to help you find the abundant life in Christ. And don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell for all our latest videos.